Hi, and welcome to this week's LGBT Wellness Podcast. Each week, LGBT HealthLink, a program of Centerlink, brings you a roundup of some of the biggest LGBTQ wellness stories from the past week. Get ready to listen and learn lots. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another week of our LGBT Wellness Roundup. Don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to find the written version of the roundup that has links to all of the stories we're about to discuss. Let's go to our first one of the week. Trans youth face higher levels of abuse. Pediatrists published a study indicating that 73% of transgender adolescents had experienced psychological abuse, 39% had experienced physical abuse, and 19% had experienced sexual abuse. They experienced all forms of uh, mistreatment named uh, herein at higher levels than had heterosexual cisgender youth. Psychological abuse in particular was highest among trans youth who were assigned female at birth. The results really paint a, a bleak picture um, of the disparities facing trans youth. And I think that one of the most important things here is that, the, you know, these, these types of situations, this type of abuse is going to impact these individuals over the course of their life. So... Um, really investing in interventions um, for youth uh, who are experiencing this type of mistreatment is going to really uh, pay off for these individuals and and uh, save them from a lot of hardship over the course of their lifespan. So definitely a really uh, sobering study for me um, and, and really concerning and hopefully um, can can drive some change here. Next up. UK LGBT data lacking. BMJ Open published a systemic review of the experiences of LGBT people in the UK during the COVID-19 pandemic. They found a concerning lack of data with mostly small studies that were not peer-reviewed. And I think that these, you know, studies are, of course, really important, those being done by nonprofits and um, foundations. Um, but obviously, you know, the, the, the gold standard would be to have um, population-wide data being collected by the government. And short of that, would be uh, kind of wide-scale scientific uh, studies, and, and they found that that kind of information was really lacking. Um, however, they did find that the information that was available showed some worse health outcomes um, in general or around the well-being of LGBT people during the pandemic, so that's also concerning. The researchers called for more routine data collection on sexual orientation and gender identity to fill these gaps, um, and to really enable a better response moving forward to the needs of LGBT folks, especially since what we do know about LGBT health shows a lot of disparities and a lot of unmet needs already. In our next story, state laws could reduce stigma. Gay City News reported on pending legislation in New York that would make it easier for trans people to get their name and gender markers changed with utility companies many of which currently have very high bars to making such adjustments, uh, such as producing a court order. Advocates say that not having their identity affirmed is damaging to trans individuals' mental health and safety. So these changes could uh, make a big difference and just make it easier for people to have their identity uh, recognized and respected and not have, you know, important pieces of mail uh, and, and important documents coming in with a name or gender that they don't uh, identify with. Meanwhile, in, in Illinois, a new law repealed laws uh, that make it a uh, crime for not disclosing a positive HIV status to sexual partners, which HIV advocates say is really counterproductive and increases stigma rather than actually uh, addressing the HIV epidemic. Next up, 
New Zealand moves to ban conversion therapy. On the other side of the world, jurists reported on New Zealand's move to ban so-called conversion therapy on minors and provide penalties for those who are harmed uh, by the damaging process of someone attempting to change their sexual orientation or gender identity. Despite much evidence that such practices are harmful and are not based on science, few nations have banned them outright, although movements to do so have picked up steam in recent years. And here in the U.S., for example, we have seen several states and cities uh, ban conversion therapy on minors. So there's been progress, but this is really one of the the first um, national efforts that we've seen to not only ban the practice on minors, but also put those penalties in place for those who cause harm to, to adults as well with this process. Next up, HPV vaccination effective for young MSM. The Journal of Infectious Disease published a study finding that HPV vaccination was successful in preventing penile HPV infections among young queer men. However, this was specifically for when the vaccine had been administered to those 18 years of age and younger. This builds on other evidence that seems to find that uh, the HPV vaccine is definitely um, better when it's it's, uh, administered to folks at a younger age uh, traditionally, these programs have targeted um, young women, and removing the, the kind of gender divide here um, seems to be, to, to me at least, the most effective way to make sure that everyone has the vaccination uh, that they need. There's been definitely an increased effort at reaching um, even young men who are kind of older than the traditional demographic to get the HIV vaccine if they are sexual minorities, since we know that queer men are at an increased risk. Um, but I think that this study, you know, is interesting because if the most benefit goes to people who are under the age of 18, a lot of folks aren't out at that age or may not be comfortable identifying that way. So to me, it, you know, it kind of suggests maybe we should just have both young men and young women under 18 um, get this vaccination. Seems like that would solve the problem. But anyway, an interesting study. And finally for this week, trans broken arm syndrome explained. USA Today reported on the phenomenon known as transbroken arm syndrome, in which those providing care to trans individuals tend to relate every medical condition, even, for example, someone breaking their arm, to their gender identity. The article details stories on how this can be really stigmatizing for trans people, leading some to seek alternative sources of health care or just to avoid care um, altogether. But the article also talks about how uh, this type of treatment prevents access to necessary and sometimes urgent care uh, from getting completed at all. So imagine, you know, going to the ER for something like this, and instead of people wanting to just focus on you and to help you out, they're fixated on your gender identity. Um, doesn't make any sense, but um, it's something that happens a lot, according to the folks who um, who spoke for this article, and really, to me, just speaks to the need to have more training, um, less stigma, and really a normalization so that people are, <laughs> who are supposed to be providing care aren't thrown off by by having a transgender patient because you know they're they're going to and they they should be ready for that and not only know about trans health but also when to know that someone's gender identity really isn't relevant to them receiving care well that wraps up another week of our lgbt wellness roundup thanks so much for tuning in and don't forget that you can go to blog.lgbthealthlink.org if you want to find the links to any of the stories that we've just covered <music>